0: Take a look behind the curtain with a real
1: whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast,
0: Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent Kyle Seraph. Hello, my friends, welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. We've got kind of a uh, inspirational show today in so much as I woke up inspired to give it to you and share this information, which I don't actually think is gonna encourage you. It's gonna start your week off on maybe a negative note, but it is a note that I think we should all be aware of. Today's episode is about an old historical adage. Those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. And a lot of us have kind of a sense of what that means. We think that it means that you're in a position of power and that you're going to be making the decisions. And when you don't know what happened in history, then you're likely to make the same mistakes of those who committed them earlier. I'm going to ask you to reframe that old adage in a way that's a little bit different. What I think that adage means is that those who do not know the warnings of history are likely to suffer the same fates as those who suffered them historically. And I think that is actually a profound change in what that actual adage means. The the failings of history were those of the ruling class of the powerful. And most of us are not in that category. In fact, most of us just experience whatever tyranny or democratic process is allowed by those who have the power. And so if we don't know the the historical lessons, the dangers that exist— in our historical record, then we are likely to suffer the same fates as those who suffered them historically. That is my perspective. And I think we're going to try to prove this thing out. It's kind of scary stuff. It's not a really uplifting topic, but it is something I woke up. I literally woke up at 5 a.m. this morning, came out of a dead sleep, and that was what occurred to me. That some of this stuff has all happened before. Many of us have these instincts. I just saw that FBI panty raid, who's one of our our regular contributors in the live chat. And By the way, uh, shameless plug for the live chat. If you don't watch us on Rumble, you can come join us on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin slash live for every one of our live shows. The live chat is always bumping. And uh, one of our regular contributors has a poll on Twitter right now asking what do we think is going to happen in the 2024 election? Will we get the result that we expect? Will it be rigged or will be, there be no election at all? And overwhelmingly, friends of mine who work in the intelligence community and have been around this sort of thing have the same fear. Option number three, will there be anything at all? There's some kind of clues in history if we can dig back into it, and I don't think it feels very good. Um, let me do the sponsors real quick right now. Let's go ahead and uh, say thanks to the folks that are keeping the lights on over here. I want to uh, clue you guys in about my favorite, which is uh, the loop. This is coming in from Catholic Vote, and then we're going to get deep into this kind of topic. And uh, like I said, kind of a dark way to start a Monday, but we might as well be forewarmed instead of going into it blindly like sheep. So uh, first of all, Catholic Vote, we're very appreciative of them. Go to catholicvote.org. You can sign up for the loop. There's the loop right there. And I'm going to read you some of the things that are in Monday's loop. I got it at 4:56. AM this morning in my email box, the loop says uh, there's an article about the feds unleashing more regulations on water heaters, a Biden DEI hire. This is the Joint Chiefs of Staff has brought on a Air Force general who is going to push for more LGBTQ stuff in our military because God knows why. Um, A court said that the FBI spied on elected officials, which we all know about. We're actually going to cover more of 702 later on in this week. It is a topic that uh, never can be talked about too much. Uh, There's a story about nurses being forced to buy into CRT in Kentucky. A Vermont coach, who apparently they have snowboarding coaches in Vermont, that's also news to me, fired over making comments about trans people. That's kind of strange. Surprising resources for kindergarten teachers that are helping them groom the LGBTQ agenda. A lot of of really useful stories in there. Um, And then a woman who is suing after transitioning as a teen and, uh, and did not much care for the results of the sex change operation. We're actually starting to see the backswing, I think, of this trans movement in many ways. So check out The Loop. Again, go to catholicvote.org. They will um, give you a home screen there where you can just type in your email address and you will get this. So there's a lot of good stories in there and some of them we cover here and some of them we don't. So be be warned as you walk out into the world with their useful stuff. And we're also going to say thanks to Patriot Coolers. Let me pop them up real quickly here. Someone got into it with me over the weekend saying that the, the coolers are not made in America. That's true. And in many ways, that would be bothersome except that no steel coolers are made in America. That's not an option. In fact, I'll show you right here. If you uh, look... There's mine sitting right here on my desk. They're not allowed to be made in this country because we have all of this crazy regulation. It doesn't allow them to make uh, what they call, I think, uh, double-walled insulated coolers in the United States. But what they do do with the money that they do make and they are founded in Houston, and they work out of Houston, Texas, America, is they give back to veterans, and they take care of our podcast. So check them out at PatriotCoolers.com. You can use promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E. Again, promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E. Gets you 10% off, gets you free shipping over 50 bucks. Easy stuff right there. And uh, you can also follow them on social media if you like. Some of you have been tagging them, and I really appreciate that. That's kind of good, fun stuff. And they are at Patriot Coolers with an S on the end of it, Patriot Coolers on all your social media like Truth and Twitter where we are. All right. Let's launch into this thing because it gets kind of dark and it gets pretty dark pretty quickly. Ryan, let's bring up topic number one and that is going to be the whole idea that uh, America, we actually have our own version of the camps. Now, those of us who have been kind of looking into this sort of thing, who have been seeing COVID tyranny and been concerned about the, the, the way that America has been moving forward have always thought You know, when are the gulags coming? And that was obviously a Soviet construction. When are the death camps coming? And that was a Nazi German construction. But we have our own version of camps. And many people have forgotten them. It's kind of a footnote in history because FDR was so loved by the leftist press. But we had our own version of camps. And this is, of course, the famous internment camps for Japanese Americans in the 1940s. We're going to get deep into that topic uh, a little bit later on, but I want to just show you that uh, if you'll pop up the graphic here, this is from NPR. uh, uh, They they actually mention that FDR's anecdote to financial collapse, the Great Depression, was in fact one thing, totalitarianism. Totalitarianism was the answer that FDR came up with, and that included a whole bunch of really scary things, uh, not just a, a, uh, a movement for putting certain Americans into camps to hold on to them for the remainder of the war. By the way, you only had to be one Japanese. That's not very much Japanese to be thrown into one of these camps. People like Keanu Reeves would have been in that camp, as far as I can tell. Um, and they also got involved in censorship. So there is a historical precedent for a lot of these things on American soil. And of course, FDR was a Democrat, and he is, in fact, the Democrat that Joe Biden probably most looked up to. He was referred to as a transformational type. So I want you guys to just have that in your mind as we move forward. Let's um, let's dig into sort of what the, the stage is that is set in this case. So um, they started off with a political hit list. And the political hit list is pretty straightforward. There are people that are qualified for the Republican debate. There are seven of them at this point. And those seven individuals, I'm going to name them off for you, and then we're going to kind of go over how the left is now going to try to dismantle them one at a time. We've got former President Trump. We've got Ron DeSantis. We've got Vivek Ramaswamy. We've got President, uh, former President, uh, Vice President Mike Pence. We have Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, and Chris Christie, all of them qualified for Republican debates. We are looking right now at CNN— talking about these people. So this is their hit list. These are the people that they are going to have to take down in order to enact whatever it is they're going to enact. Uh, Ryan, if you pull up the Trump indictment page from the Los Angeles Times, we know that the first piece is we're going to deal with President Trump. He's obviously the front runner in the Republican primary. So what do you do with Trump? We've already seen some of it. We've seen that he could be indicted now for January 6th, but let's step back a ways. Alvin Bragg in New York, state charges. A possible grand jury in Georgia, more state charges the miralago raid and the indictment over there over 37 counts under the espionage act that's in florida that's going to be difficult for them to prove because it's florida so we need more and the last one here is there's the expectation that he's going to be indicted over january 6th stuff not enough evidence uh, what do they say here there's more than enough evidence convict this is a this is an opinion piece in the Los angeles times they are going to start moving forward normalizing the idea that of course President Trump could be convicted on this because there's plenty of evidence that he's the problem, even though many of us saw both in real time and over the last couple of years after this, that he was asking for people to peaceably make their voice heard, that the uh, the breach of the Capitol happened before he finished his speech and a bunch of other things. They started this censorship routine. They pulled his voice from Twitter, where he had such a massive following and was able to speak directly to the American people. So I'm just gonna read a little bit of this article. I want you to get, again, it's what they say and how they say it is always so important. Donald Trump announced that he's been notified that he's a target of the special counsel investigation to the events of January 6th. This is obviously different than the Espionage Act. This is different than the classified documents that were going on, okay? And so what they said is that uh, the suspected crimes against the Constitution and the nation was is this sort of sus- seditious conspiracy. That's actually why they had to go after all the other guys first. They had to get the Oath Keepers. They had to get the Proud Boys. They had to get all these January Six people. They have to have hundreds now, and they're working on getting you know, over 1,000 convictions in order to show there's this huge pattern of facts and that the overarching and the overwhelming you know, mover that made all these things happen on that day was, in fact, Donald Trump. They've got to kick him out of the race because he's the top guy. All right. Um, The next one, if you want want to pull up the Washington Post, they're talking about the same exact thing. It says, even as a third indictment looms, many Americans and many Republicans rather stand by Trump. Okay. so he was there's a, a story about in Iowa. They're talking about people that still think that even though he's abrasive and offensive and sometimes looks orange, she's still all in for Donald Trump for a third term. They've got all these voters that still look at Donald Trump as being wronged in many ways, wronged by a administrative state that went after him for so long, and Americans kind of like an underdog, and even though Donald Trump is the former president, he's fighting an uphill battle, right? So they've got to go out there and talk about who these people are, that they are all ignorant. If you are a Trump supporter, obviously you're still in that still that same category of deplorable that uh, Hillary Clinton talked about. You are not a person that is, uh, that is appropriate for polite conversation. We talked about some of the dehumanizing language Uh, This is very important stuff so they can go ahead and eliminate the support for Donald Trump. He's the top guy. They've got to take him out before anybody else. And we kind of looked like they were propping up Ron DeSantis for a little bit. It actually looked like they were using them and pitting him against each other. There's nothing better than having uh, a party divided amongst two people. If they can go out there and sort of balkanize, which is to say break them into factions and let the infighting happen. And if any of you are watching what goes on in social media, particularly on Twitter, the back and forth, the ugly rhetoric that happens between Trump supporters and DeSantis supporters, Many of you thought Ron DeSantis did a great job during COVID, many people who live in Florida thought he was an outstanding governor choice. And then the minute that he's running against Trump, now he's a demon again, and he's desanctimonious, sanctimonious and so on and so forth. I find all of this very, very off-putting as someone who's kind of watching from the sidelines. I, I don't really care. I just, I'm, I'm an anti-Biden guy at this point. I'm not a Republican by any means. But if we can pull up the, uh, the, the next article here, which is gonna be done in, where did this come from? The New York Times. You'll see that they're actually gonna take shots Add Ron DeSantis now as well, because once they get him in a place where he is a, a great rival to Trump, now you got to bring him down too. And so these are all left-wing sources. We've seen Washington Post, we've seen Los Angeles Times, now New York Times, and this article is entitled "The Steep Cost of Ron DeSantis' Vaccine Turnabout." Something really interesting happened. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna switch views here. Something really interesting happened yesterday. I was watching Twitter and I follow this guy named Ted Lieu. Many of you know that he's a congressman from California. Ted Lieu did one of these weird. I don't know what it is, like a troll and a self-own at the same time. What he essentially said was, is thank God for Donald Trump, who appreciated and understood how important the COVID vaccines were and was able to move forward with Operation Warp Speed. Now, most people are not going to see this leftist Democrat, and he's far left as far as politicians go, this leftist Democrat praising a Donald Trump. So we have to look at why is that happening? And it's happening because so many people who also love Donald Trump want nothing to do with these COVID vaccines. And so he's he's tying Trump inexplicably to Operation Warp Speed and the things that were done in the name of COVID at the end of his presidency. And honestly, that's a reasonable question for those of us who want to know who the best candidate is. That's something that Donald Trump should answer for. But the idea that a leftist Democrat is going to be tying it to him, that, that is obviously something else going on, because they are not trying to bolster support for Donald Trump. They're actually trying to fractionalize it. And then he says something that I think is the cell phone part of it, which is that he said, go out and make sure you get your children vaccinated for COVID. Go out and make sure you talk to your pediatrician. That was a specific thing. Go to your APA-approved pediatrician and get them to make sure that your kid has bought in. So they're trying to uh, you know, go out there and convert the youth. As usual, we expect them to go after your children. That's the nature of the political left. But The fact that he is using this lead in and there were millions of people that saw this tweet, by the way. So this was a a large distribution from this guy, even though he has a pretty good following. This was pretty well received all the way across the board and people are pushing back. And he said, fact check me community note me, which is what Twitter does for fact checks, check in and see and say if there's anything that's false about what I said. Well, number one, I think he's correct. I think that Donald Trump's administration is responsible for Warp Speed, did push out the mandates or sorry, did push out the shots. The key, and this is the thing that they are highlighting. Um. They're highlighting one piece of it, and they're ignoring the other piece of it. What Donald Trump did not do was mandate it, did not use the tactics of totalitarianism. We had to wait until President Biden got in to see that. And I'm a victim of that totalitarianism. That I was a federal employee who was told under no uncertain terms that I had to get this. Many of you had that same experience working for private industry. And in fact, there was actually just a vote in Congress that didn't pass where they were looking to mandate that people who lost their jobs over COVID vax mandates in airlines specifically would get their jobs back and it didn't pass. And it was bipartisan, you should know that. There are many Republicans who voted against the uh, the bill that would have reinstated pilots and stewardesses and, and uh, flight mechanics and so on that didn't wanna get the shots. And there were thousands of people in that industry, in the transportation industry that lost their jobs over this. Just worth noting, The mandates only happened under Biden, and that's the thing to really focus on if you are a conservative or if you are a Republican, capital R, is that mandates happened only under Democrats, and they suddenly wanted to take credit for all the work that went on under President Trump's regime. Now, say what you like about the shots. Say what you like about government programs rushing shots, and I'm not a big fan of those things, but what I do know is they weren't forced down your throats. It takes a leftist totalitarian to do that. And as I said, there's a fantastic playbook that we're going to look into from the early 19 or the late 1930s, moving on into the actual, then to the 50s under FDR and under Truman, because a lot of this stuff actually goes that far back. All right. So we'll continue on. As I said, Ron DeSantis, now they're going to highlight the number of COVID deaths and the number of things that were going on in, uh, in Florida during the time when he was basically keeping Florida open for business. They, uh, they of course, cherry pick their data. That is the nature of the New York Times. They don't have to be honest operators. So they talk about vaccination rates. There's uh, some graphs on here. If you guys wanna go, um, you can actually check out the archive and go look for this article, which is a uh, front page as of yesterday. And they're talking about how You know, there were all these people over the age of 65 and they had a really good rate. They were 15% more vaccinated in older Floridians than there were in the national average. And so that was really great. And then he turned the corner and he decided not to be involved in this stuff. And when that happened, suddenly all these residents started dying at a higher rate and when adjusted for age, um, it says almost they basically more people died than any other state during the Delta wave. But here's the thing. Floridians are a pretty old group as a state. It has a ton of people that come in in their retirement age because they have advantageous retirement laws financially. And so people leave places like New York and New Jersey and so on. They leave Connecticut and they go and they retire in Florida where it's warm and it's nice and they had a lot of freedom. And these people, some of them were older and in bad health. And a lot of people die in Florida anyway, because that's where people in many ways, <laughs> woke may go to die there, but also a lot of people in America go to die there. That's where they go and retire and they go and it's the natural cause of age. So uh, they went into these... Uh, these, these weekly notices of how many people were dying. And they basically want to point out that Ron DeSantis is the worst, uh, even though we can see that his overall death rate was much lower than the national average in early May of 23. And then they're going to try to act like he did something terrible. So they've gone on a hit against Donald Trump. They've gone on a hit against Ron DeSantis. And so who's next? How about Mike Pence? Mike Pence is, Is guilty of an article here that we've got from CNN. And the article says that he's not convinced that Trump's actions were criminal on January 6th. Well, that is a big no no because when we have fear, we have to kind of divide people along these lines. We talked about the American Rorschach test much earlier in this podcast. We've had several guests that have been, that were actually at January 6th. And the nuanced view of it is essentially a riot gone. Uh, A protest turned into riot. I think that's the most reasonable version of it. And I think Pence probably understands that that's the only way that you get uh, anybody to support you in the Republican Party right now. You can't talk about it being seditionist, treasonous, insurrectionist, whatever emotional words the left has. And so they've got to basically smear him as well. He is not part of the J6 orthodoxy, okay? He's not talking about the things that need to be talked about in order to get support by the left. And he's never going to be supported by the left, but he is kind of an old-school... Republican politician, kind of the neocon version, right? So he's not convinced that Donald Trump is a criminal, and that means he must be thrown out, and that's going to be okay to attack him because of that. He has to be attacked because he just doesn't have the juice. And then the last one, and and the rest of those, by the way, uh, Vivek is kind of interesting. He's got some ties that people have pointed out to to Soros for a fellowship he got, and he had some tweets deleted, and they've, they've pointed out on the right, people on our, you know, well, like I'd say, generally conservative side, have pointed out some of the things that he's done Um, tying him to COVID statements they didn't like and so on. Once again, I don't think he ever supported a mandate. uh, And I don't think he was supportive of the Biden administration mandating things. But he's got some strikes in his corner and he's a much smaller candidate. The rest of them are sort of negligible. Nikki Haley, I think, is dead on arrival. She's not a serious candidate in any way that's going to make anything. Chris Christie's on there. Um, We see Tim Scott, who may make a good VP candidate, but is not going to lead the ticket. So all those people, the top contenders had to be dealt with, and they have been. And I got a bonus one for you. Who is the next biggest threat? To a joe biden administration let's pull that one up real quick we've got a uh, a fact check of rfk now we just talked about him on friday we went deep into the fact that rfk is um he's you know a, a guy who is called for caution in regards to covid vaccines and so what do we have we've got cnn here this is their politics section the politics section not public health by the way politics says fact check RFK Jr. claimed that he's never told people to avoid vaccination, but he did less than two years ago. That was in 2021. Many of us will remember what was going on in 2021, that we are in the middle of this um, mandates coming down the park. And one of the things, if you actually look at what he says, I guarantee you that if he was a right winger, they would have said something to the effect of it lacks context. But What they said, let's just quote directly from him. Kennedy was a witness on Thursday's hearing. That was last week, uh, led by the Republican House Judiciary Committee on the supposed weaponization. I like supposed weaponization, by the way. There's no question the government has been weaponized. Um, But you got to have CNN opining in here. They're not even calling this an opinion piece, even though it is. Um, So anyway, the supposed weaponization. Sorry, I lost my train of thought when I started thinking about them just overwhelmingly trying to push their narratives. It doesn't matter how they do it, and they have to discredit everybody left and right when they do so. So the supposed weaponization of the federal government, uh, he claimed in his testimony that he's not only, he's never been anti-vax, that he's up to date on all his vaccinations, except for his refusal of COVID-19 shots. Probably like many of you. Many of you have also gotten all of the required, quote-unquote, required vaccinations. And the quote that they're going to hone in on here is that he's never told the public, quote, I have never told the public, avoid vaccination, end quote. And then he talks about his children and so on and so forth. So those of you who watch the hearing already know RFK basically said, I'm just urging caution. So now they got to go back and find something that he said on a podcast for Health Freedom for Humanity in 2021, a podcast that I've never heard of, but maybe a lot of you have. Um, and he was talking about how parents should respond to the CDC's schedule of immunizations, which, by the way, was trying to add the COVID immunization in and his questionnaire, the person who was hosting the podcast, said that the uh, the schedule is actually insane. The, the issue that a lot of people have, too, and I've heard RFK say this over and over, is that young children, like babies, day-old babies, are getting vaccinated against things like STDs that they don't have any possibility of getting. I actually found out, because we're, my wife and I are going to have a baby very soon, some of the things that you just assume are regular care and treatment in the hospital um, are not really – they don't really make a lot of sense. Um, you've seen the, the goop that they smear in the eyes, the antibiotic little ointments. I didn't know why they did that. And I've been a paramedic and I'm actually fairly med- medically educated. I'm pretty well aware of what goes on. The reason that they did that was because of the possibility of the baby getting either chlamydia or gonorrhea in their eyes, sexually transmitted diseases. Just put that in your mind for a second. Again, sexually transmitted diseases in their eyes, which would mean that in fact, the mother, in fact, was passing that vaginally to the baby as they're born, um, How much sense does that make? Does it make any sense whatsoever? It's just a government protocol. And it was actually passed in Texas. There was a law passed something like almost a hundred years ago. And we had our our midwife describe it to us. And I went like, oh, okay, well, we don't need that. That's silly. And yet everybody thinks that's a standard of care. Uh, We're reading through some of these books about birth and just the expectation of healthcare and sick care is so strange because only 100 years ago, all the ideas of being born in a hospital would never have existed. It just It's its all modern stuff, and we all think that you're supposed to have a baby laying in a hospital bed, and that's the way it's always been. But it's not. I mean, women had babies in caves. So uh, the idea that you would start shoving them full of vaccines on their first couple days in the world when they're not exposed to anything and they have that, they have that six-month uh, sort of uh, breastfed immunity time – Very strange. And I think RFK is basically just highlighting in on these things. So he said that he has encouraged people to join him in telling strangers not to vaccinate their baby. He says, quote, for many, many years, I think parents were so gaslighted. They were so scapegoated. They were so vilified and marginalized. He's talking about parents that didn't get uh, their kids vaccinated either ever or right away, which I think is actually a a fully reasonable thing to say. Wait until they're a little bit bigger. These shots are enormous compared to the size of of the baby, like when it comes to the amount of dose per weight. Uh, He says, even parents of kids who were very, very badly injured, you know, they knew what happened to their kids, but they were reluctant to talk about it. He's talking about vaccine injured kids. There's the whole thing about autism. There's the thing about whether or not uh, it has any connection to to vaccines. I've heard him argue very credibly that the studies were set up in false pretense, that the studies basically said, you know, there's this derivative of mercury that that exists in all these uh, different types of vaccines as a preservative. And the uh they basically test for it a week later and it's not in the bloodstream, so they say it's fine. But it also has a home in fatty tissues and the brain is full of those. So that's that's his argument that is the possibility. And we just don't have enough studies on it to prove one conclusively or the other. Interesting point. I just think it's worth arguing those things. If we're going to be a society that is free, if we're gonna be a society that doesn't have censorship, then we should be able to at least have those conversations. But of course he was not. So they're trying to censor him again. He says, uh, this is Kennedy again, quoted in this article again, kind of a hit piece on him saying, if you're one of the 10 people that goes, if you're one of 10 people that goes up to a guy, a man or a woman who's been carrying around a baby, like imagine in a park and says, don't vaccinate your baby. And they hear that from 10 others. They'll make that impression on them. Uh, but we've all kept our mouth shut. So don't shut your mouth anymore. So that's what they're saying. RFK is a vaccine denier and potentially a liar because of course he went in front of Congress and he had that piece. Now, uh, the scary thing is this: they've they've basically tried to marginalize the the positions of all these people. They want to get rid of RFK. They want to get rid of Trump. They want to get rid of Vivek. They want to get rid of the DeSantis. And so, who was the answer? The answer is an old man tripped by sandbags who has a struggle getting up and down the stairs. So I've got a video for you here. Um, we didn't play this earlier, so let's let's cue up video number one. I want you to kind of think, we always, like I said, our head always goes towards Nazis, and this is obviously the imagery of that. Look at the, the, the fact that they blame conservatives for this, and then tell me how much of this stuff was actually enacted by conservatives. Ryan, if you want to roll video one real quick, this is a, a great clip from the movie V for Vendetta. Go ahead and roll it.
2: Our story begins, as these stories often do, with a young up-and-coming politician. He's a deeply religious man and a member of the Conservative Party. He's completely single-minded and has no regard for the political process. The more power he attains, the more obvious his zealotry, and the more aggressive his supporters become. Eventually, his party launches a special project in the name of national security. At first, it's believed to be a search for biological weapons, and it's pursued without regard to its cost. However, the true goal of this project is power, complete and total hegemonic domination. The project, however, ends violently. But the efforts of those involved are not in vain, For a new ability to wage war is born from the blood of one of the victims. Imagine a virus, the most terrifying virus you can, and then imagine that you and you alone have the cure. But if your ultimate goal is power, how best to use such a weapon? at this point in our story that along comes a spider he is a man seemingly without a conscience for whom the ends always justify the means and it is he who suggests that their target should not be an enemy of the country but rather the country itself three targets are chosen to maximize the effect of the attack a school a tube station and a water treatment plant several hundred die within the first few weeks.
1: That Three Waters has in
2: fact been contaminated. Authorities are attempting to control its deadly spread. Sent a wave of destruction throughout the underground. Fueled by the media, fear and panic spread quickly, fracturing and dividing the country until at last the true goal comes into view. Before the St. Mary's crisis, no one would have predicted the results of the election that year, no one. And then not long after the election, lo and behold, a miracle some believed it was the work of god himself but it was a pharmaceutical company controlled by certain party members that made them all obscenely rich a year later several extremists are tried found guilty and executed while a memorial is built to canonize their victims But the end result the true genius of the plan was the fear fear became the ultimate tool of this government and through it our politician was ultimately appointed to the newly created position of high chancellor the rest as they say is history can you prove any of this why do you think i'm still alive right We'd like to take you into protective custody, Mr. Rookwood. Oh, I'm sure you would. But if you want that recording, you'll do what I tell you to do. You put Creedy under 24-hour surveillance. When I feel safe that he can't pick his nose without you knowing, I'll contact you again.
0: All right, let's Till go then. ahead and kill it right there. Cheerio. So that movie is V for Vendetta. Many of you guys have seen that movie. And in many ways, it's prophetic. It was before all of these things. But they've honed in on some of the tools of totalitarianism. And they are fear, and they are a divided nation, and we are dealing with a lot of those things in different ways. What's funny to me is, just like movies that are dystopian, uh, like Escape from L.A., the John Carpenter flick that goes back a long ways as well, another 20 years back, um, we're talking about something that is, it, it it's the exact opposite of what happens in reality, right? They think that we are going to be dealing with uh, a, a regime, a fascist regime, a right-wing totalitarian regime that's going to get rid of artists and homosexuals and people who love things that are beautiful. And that's what is going on in V for vendetta, by the way. That's who they get. It's It's uh, homosexual partners are blackbagged and, and thrown away. We've got uh, people who are,, um, you know, creative types the uh, people in the media that actually just want to stand for freedom and and, and building these, these beautiful institutions or stories and things like that. And that's not what's going on. The media is actually all in on this stuff. I mean, think about it. Hollywood loves to cast themselves as the victim and also as the heroes in these films. And yet, the real kind of scary stuff comes out of leftism. If we can pull up what's going on right now with our dear friend, uh, President Biden, will you bring up number two, the video number two here? This is uh, people who I actually loathe in many ways. This is Mika Brzezinski and her husband, Joe Scarborough, an alleged Republican. This is a video that goes back quite a ways. We went back a couple of years. This is at the beginning of the Biden presidency. And what you'll see here is this is what they expected Joe Biden to bring them. Go ahead and roll that video.
3: I, you know, it's been so fascinating because Biden, uh, everybody was saying he's going to be like FDR, or maybe, maybe I, I'd say maybe there were some Truman parallels, but he's... I mean, he may be turning into a really a transformational president and a lot like Reagan, who always got underestimated going to the White House in part because, you know, Reagan said things like trees cause more pollution than cars <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> he would hang signs around trees and say, stop me before I kill again. Uh, Biden's always been underestimated, but I really do sense that we are moving into a post reagan era i think you know we had the era we had the fdr sort of the fdr era from 32 to 80 and then the reagan era from 80 to maybe 2020 but this feels really different i mean 75 percent of americans are supporting pretty huge pretty expansive government relief bills uh, it feels like we're moving into sort of a new the new era <laughs>
0: Those two are so detestable in so many ways. So
1: That's so bad.
0: It's, it's gross, right? It just makes you like your skin crawl. So you sit there and you think, okay, they, he claims that the, uh, that the FDR era goes from his original election in the early, what is it, 1933? Is that when his first election was? I actually got the, the timeline up here. So uh, FDR elected 1933 or took office in 1933 and then essentially carries on until 1945 with his three terms. And then we've also got the following terms, which were his vice president, Harry Truman, kind of followed on. I think that was actually the plan here. In two thousand eight, we expected an Obama. Then we expected Obama again. Then some Hillary, and, and they ended up putting Joe Biden in, who was kind of like a a wannabe, um, a wannabe Truman. So we've got this sort of idea that we're going to do this transformational piece. And if you remember, during the first hundred days, that was the New Deal, the New Deal legislation that went through in the United States happened in the beginning of FDR's term. He was combating. The Great Depression, this huge economic woe, and you've got to basically get everybody on board. You've got to divide the country up to the point where they're they're going to be able to, to move along with your agenda. And the original talk about expanding the court, which we're hearing a bunch of banging on about right now, uh, expanding the Supreme Court, that was, that was an FDR move, right? The idea that we were going to expand government in this big way, FDR in a big way. And then the last thing that really tr- troubles me is in 1946, under Truman, we had the Administrative Procedures Act, which really— was the founding of the American deep state. This was the idea that you were going to take powers away from Congress and give them to the executive branch and these executive agencies would essentially be the quote unquote trusty experts type thing where they were going to run and and do their own rules. Okay, They were not going to have to go to Congress. Congress would give them sort of the mandate, establish the agency and the funding, and then they would decide the best ways to do it. And when you do that long enough, you end up with things like the ATF knocking on your door, saying that a product that they said was safe and legal and within the law is now no longer within the law, and they're going to go do it arbitrarily. So that's all really scary stuff. Um, But the tools that I've kind of identified are racism, fear and fear is the COVID stuff right now, and then economics, the economic divide. And they're going to use all three of those tools in order to institute the same sort of totalitarianism that we've been seeing for quite a long time. So let's bring up the article here. This is the uh, Biden, the new little piece about Biden that says we are going to establish a national monument this week honoring Emmett Till. That's uh, from this weekend, so it's actually about this week. And Biden is going to set up this this space, some of the... um, the hallowed grounds that, that Emmett Till walked in his very short life. Now, some of you may not know the story of Emmett Till, so I'm gonna rehash it in kind of a, a short and easy way. But Emmett Till was a young boy who was apparently from Chicago. I think he was 14 years old. He was visiting family members that he had in Mississippi. Okay, and this is at the height of the sort of the, the lynchings and, and the, uh, the nasty power that was going on. This is during that, that era. Like I said, we go all the way until 1953 so it was just in the middle of the beginning of the eisenhower era right after we had that that sort of little uh, swing back towards the republican side and in 1955 he was killed brutally and and just disgustingly it's a story that the fbi investigated under their their charge to go after the Klan and some of the racist uh, things that were happening in the south and so we now have the white house putting out an official statement saying the new monument will protect places that tell the story of emmett till's too short life and racially motivated murder the unjust acquittal of his murderers, and that happened, and the activism of his mother, Mammy Till Mobley, who courageously brought the world's attention uh, to the brutal injustices and racism of the time catalyzing the civil rights movement. So we've got to do racism. We've got to do it again. And if you remember, one of the things that we just celebrated in June was this, this day, Juneteenth. And I'll tell you why I think it sits badly with people who are on the political right. I don't think anybody on the political right has a problem with celebrating the life of Emmett Till, who was taken from this world at a very young age through some brutal acts of disgusting racists in the South. And I don't think anybody has a problem with celebrating Juneteenth as a day, as a concept of notifying slaves in places like Texas, because it's a celebration of what happened in Galveston two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Nobody hates the idea of that happening where we celebrate a day knowing that the slaves were freed. Here's the problems. We have a Democrat president who is using him to divide. Why are we doing them in 2021? And why are we choosing those days as opposed to celebrating, let's say, the Emancipation Proclamation, which was issued by Lincoln, who was a Republican? That's why. Why are we talking about Emmett Till now on a man who basically was almost he I guess Emmett Till would have been 82 years old this year on his birthday, which is what they're announcing this on. This is all political timing, of course. Um, he's roughly Biden, he would have been roughly Biden's age. So Biden actually grew up in the era when this stuff went on. And he was a kid. He was 14, he was 12 years old when Emmett you know, Till was killed. And he served with all these sort of racist and old school uh, leftists and old school Klansmen types that were in uh, the House and the Senate and so on. So Biden's whole shtick is not that he is so anti-racist. He's just whatever the party needs at the time. And I think that's why it relates back to that, that um operational morality of V for Vendetta, that video that we just looked at. Biden is not any of these things, I don't think. I don't think he feels very strongly about them in the same way that I don't believe that an 80-year-old man in this country like Joe Biden actually in his heart of hearts thinks that men can transform themselves magically into women and vice versa, or that we should have topless trannies at the White House uh, jiggling their, their male boobs and all this kind of stuff. All that stuff is bizarre. It doesn't make any sense for a man that age. And yet, I would say that he is doing so specifically because it's what the party requires of him to divide this nation further, and that is the tool that they're going to be using. So uh, the second thing we see, racism is one. COVID fear, which, of course, they mentioned in that um, in that documentary, or <laughs> the not documentary, in the movie, which is fiction. If you'll bring up uh, topic number 11, that's going to be our story that we just found out. Uh, Michigan State University was just now affirmed in, in Lansing, Michigan, that they can, in fact, require all faculty and staff to be vaccinated against COVID. So this is a appeals circuit. This is in the Sixth Circuit of Appeals out of Cincinnati. They ruled 3-0 in favor of this university, which is a public university and gets public funding as well as government funding that they in fact can apply this and require that all staff and all students be vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, there's this tricky history going on right now of whether or not COVID-19 vaccine mandates are uh, legal, whether they make any sense. And I've been part of this group called Feds for Medical Freedom that actually got an N-Bank confirmation of injunction against the Biden administration. (laughs) Thanks for that, Brian. That's troubling. Um, They've got this N-Bank review that has basically said that uh, the vaccine mandate is not lawful and is likely unconstitutional. For federal workers, but now we've got a, a disagreeing opinion. And so we're going to actually see this go. It's been appealed by the Biden administration to the Supreme Court. Uh, they are trying to continue keeping this thing forward because they need to be able to keep this issue forward. Even though they've withdrawn the VAX mandate for federal employees, and therefore the, artic- the actual decision could be moot, they're not going to let it go. They're not going to let it fall off. And that's really scary stuff because they are not necessarily ideologically inclined. They're simply holding these these uh, dividing tools more importantly than the actual message that those tools uh, engage in. And maybe here's the last one and, and the scariest thing. I'm going to bring Ryan in because he and I talk about this kind of stuff off off the air on a regular basis. Ryan, would you come in and talk about the economic tool that's being used? And this was actually the original setup for FDR's sort of takeover, the, the Great Depression equals totalitarianism. We are looking at some pretty bad indicators, and you've been following some of them, so I want you to kind of comment on
1: Yeah, sure let me jump in here for a minute so the first thing i want to point out is the massive amount of credit card debt that americans are holding it's a 986 billion dollars to be exact and just to kind of throw that on a chart so you can see that the amount of credit card debt in american history that it's pretty much always been timed with a great depression we see in 08 we see the 2020 liquidity crisis and we see credit card debt now reaching an all-time high And then if we want to jump in and actually break that down by state, I brought up this chart here. So it actually shows us what states and the average credit card debt per capita. So if you're living in Connecticut, for example, the average credit card balance, the average, so that's not even talking about the max. Just the average is nine thousand four hundred eight dollars. New York nine thousand one hundred sixty-five. New Jersey, Rhode Island. We get down to Texas eight thousand seven hundred one dollars. Florida eight thousand. I mean, I don't know how some people live with with a credit card balance that you know that is that high. And then if we take that a, a the take that a step further, and we just talk about on average across the United States right now, the average credit card balance is seven thousand. $279. And we're talking about credit card balances. Now you're wondering like, okay, are people paying those balances off every month? Or are we carrying those balances over? Now, if we jump into this next graphic that I got here on the chart, it actually shows us what percentage of credit card accounts carry a balance. So if we look at the the orange section here, if you guys are looking at the screen, you can see that it says 23% had a, had a credit card, but don't use it. 34%, which is the blue blue section here, use a card but never carried a balance. And then the green area, 43% carried a balance at some point. That means that that many Americans are rolling over and in paying interest on these credit cards. Now, the next question you're going to ask yourself is, well, how much interest are they paying on their credit cards? Great question. The average APR, and this is what blows my mind. So if we just scaled that down from 7,000 down to 5,000, And we say right now, the average APR is 20.6%. So if you have a balance of $5,000 and you're rolling that over, that means that every month you're paying $1,000 in interest just off the top. Now, if we take a look at where that is going. So for cards accruing interest, the average in the second quarter of 2023 was 22.16%. Now, for new credit card offers, the average today is 24.24%, and that is the highest since we be- since they began tracking these rates in monthly changes from 2019. And I can say that for certain. Before 2019, there were never credit card balances that were higher than 20 20- 24.424%. I can guarantee you that. So pretty much from the beginning of time, credit card balances are at an all-time high. Now, what, what else they're not talking about and nobody seems to be talking about is the fact that a lot of people do what are called like the 0% interest credit cards. Now, Visa, MasterCard, and I believe American Express are getting ready to wipe that off. I think it starts in October that they'll, unless you have basically like prestige credit, you're not going to be able to get a new credit card with a 0% interest rate. And then what also is going to happen in October is the student loans are going to kick back in. And I want to say it's $7 billion a month. I think it's $465 billion in total student loan debt that's acquired in the United States. And I think those monthly payments are about $7, 000, uh, $7 billion a month divided across all people. I think on the average, it's like $100 to $200 a month. You're gonna be having to pay on top of already paying your credit cards, which now if we take a look at how many how many Americans are delinquent on their credit cards, this is an interesting number, but not at an alarming high rate in any sense of the way, but it is going up. We can see that on the last little trajectory there. And I want to say that stopped in Q1 of 2023. So we don't even have the most recent data. And that's where you really start to ask yourself about like, how accurate are these charts? What type of data are they hiding from us? If we take a look at the average auto loan right now, the average auto loan balance grew by 7.7% in 2022. So that means the average American right now is paying 7.7% more just for their auto loan balance. You're thinking, how are people like going to keep up with this? How much longer can our economy keep going? And this is the chart that I think should blow everybody's mind the most. And this is our chart about search terms. So we talk about search terms, and we talked about pawn shop near me trending at an all-time high in the last five years, all-time high. And if we t- see the the chart where I have two, you can see like the graph there where it peaked. Would it be like 2019? That was when interest rates hit 3.5%. So every time interest rates go up, the, the interest that you're paying on your debt gets more expensive. So people have to take out more debt. They have to take out more loans just to keep up and pay on that interest. And we can see right now, right here, and especially in the, in the state of Texas, pawn shop near me is trending at an all-time high. So I always think to myself, why would somebody be searching pawn shop near me? I would say that that you have exhausted all resources. Your credit cards are maxed out. You're behind on debt, and you're literally willing to pawn off anything to your name just to get enough money to keep your head above flow, uh, keep your head above water, and put food on your table. And I and I got two more. Sh- show I want to show you here before so you do that, total, Ryan. Let me
0: let, let me ask you one quick question. What yeah, led you to, to search for the pawn shop? Um, this pawn shop search. How did you
1: decide that that was going to be an uh, a relevant metric? Was that something I you was read watching- somewhere? I was watching another YouTuber and his videos and he was talking about trending terms and he said, he mentioned something about pawn shops. So I got on here and I was like, oh, pawn shops near me. And it just boom. And it hit. I was trying to do more like bankruptcy filed or how to file bankruptcy. I was trying to see if there were any other correlations today before we got on, but I ran out of time.
0: No, but it's, it's something that I, we'll, we'll keep you posted on this. Cause it's something that Ryan has told me about before guys. It's just, I just, I'd never thought of it before as, as an instinct. And I think you're right that the desperation that has to happen when you start searching for pawn shops around you. Is much higher than some of the
1: other options. All right, finish out that graph. That was this is all fascinating to me, by the way. So in this article, the total auto cl- uh, auto debt climbs to 1.41 trillion. The average auto loan balance grew by 7.7 percent. The rate of auto delinquencies is rising in 2022 auto balances rise across all credit score ranges and increasing auto balances are the largest in California and New Jersey and generation X carries the largest auto loan default rate or auto loan balance. Now this is the one that really blew my mind. So low income households are falling behind on car payments. So this means the the amount of low income households, which I assume are most people watching this stream, myself included. Like I don't make over a hundred thousand a year, a hundred and fifty, whatever it has to be to put you above that category. And if we see in in the uh, in normal times, uh, 2019, 2021, the average is about between what two and about five and a half, six percent. We can see from december of 2022 to january of 2023 this thing took off like a rocket we went from about 2.7 percent all the way to 6.5 which is now the highest auto loan default rate that we've had since the 08 financial crisis and what's more interesting about this is they stopped putting out this data If anybody can find me an updated chart on this, please tag me, share it over with me on Twitter. I think these statistics are so bad that they're literally no longer putting out this chart. Because it's accelerating at faster than it was during the 08 crisis. And that's a wrap on that, Kyle. I'll let you jump back over and take over.
0: I just want to reiterate what he just said, is that the default rate on auto loans, which is the thing that people are going to need to be able to do their jobs, to be able to just enact their, you know, to run their businesses. It's almost impossible in this country in most places to get around without a vehicle. There's a couple places you can do it. You can do it in New York. You can do it in some of the East Coast cities. But almost all small businesses run with an automobile, and almost everybody who is living in most of America is living with their own personal automobile. If you're defaulting on that, and if it's getting taken away, then you are in such dire straits that the, the means of production for your own income is going to be marginalized and or gone. And so we've talked about these three tools. I think they're all there. They're all available to us. And we're seeing worse numbers, as Ryan just pointed out, than there was in 2008 with the housing crisis. I think the housing is actually being artificially propped up right now. We've got this racism, which is sort of a cultural issue. We've got COVID and fear, which is the public health crisis, which is a lot like we saw in this V for Vendetta piece. And then you've got the economics, which we've had before. This is a perfect storm of three really, really dangerous things. A cultural war that is being pushed, right? And, and showing that one side is the, is the villain and that the other side is a hero. And that hero is Joe Biden right now, apparently by naming these racial things. And there's a whole bunch of other examples of it. You guys can go back in and see it. And we end up with uh, this this guy who's out in front of, you know, the red steps of a uh, constitution hall and banging his fist with the Marines behind him, the red speech that we saw last year and some of these other sort of images. Uh, the question is, are we really trying to run down the line of a USSR? Are we trying to run down the line of a Germany? or Are we trying to run down the line of an FDR, which... Joe Biden and the people that were kind of hawking Joe Biden to us early on in his presidency have already stated that is his aspirational goal, to be sort of transformational, transformative in a way that's pretty scary stuff. So let's bring up this next slide here of FDR. For those of you who have forgotten, this is where we're going with this. That feeling of, are we going to be dealing with camps? Are we going to be dealing with death camps? Are we going to deal with gulags and forced labor and so on? This article is entitled, Saving Face. Remembering Executive Order 9066. And this was uh, implemented in April of 1942. It was actually uh, signed, I think, in February, February 19th of 1942, but was started to be implemented across the country over the next 60 days, where they rounded up Asian Americans of Japanese descent. They took 120,000 people in 1942 and put them in internment camps, which is a nice way of saying that they were put in prison. For the crime of being Japanese, after the Japanese attacked the Japanese mainland, attacked an island base at Pearl Harbor, and so there is a blueprint for this sort of thing that has happened historically. Uh, This was written. This article is written back in 2017. It was the 75th anniversary. So obviously, we are now coming up on what, like the 80th anniversary of this thing, 81st anniversary. We've already passed that, I guess. Um, 80 plus years. This was. This was the background. That Joe Biden grew up in. He's he's what, 80 years old. And so this was happening right when he was a child. And this was normalized in many ways that this happened. And then it's been sort kind of kind of thrown off into the uh, underneath the dustbin of history. It's been thrown under the rug. We talk about all the horrible things that happened in Europe, the horrible things that happened to the Kulaks and the farmers in Ukraine and so on. We talk about the atrocities that happened in all these places where they got rid of the intellectuals, whether it be in the Chinese... Um, the Cultural Revolution, or we talk about the USSR, or we talk about the Germans, and so on. We go all the way down the list. I never hear FDR's name thrown into the pile of totalitarians that decided to imprison their own people simply out of fear or trying to get public sentiment on their side using these tools. And that scares the crap out of me, to be honest. Um, there is a, uh, another thing that many of us don't know, and I wanted to highlight it today. In 1941, just after Pearl Harbor, about 11 days afterwards, 2 weeks after the strike on Pearl Harbor, we had an executive order 8985 that predated the uh, the one I just talked about. 8985 was the establishment of the Office of Censorship. Can you pull that one up for me too, Ryan? The Office of Censorship, which was an office that used voluntary compliance with the press in order to censor information that would be negative to the American war effort. It's your patriotic duty to listen to what the government has to say and to do uh, to keep the negative stories or the stories about the wartime effort under wraps. This is where the, uh, the old expression, loose lips sink ships idea came out. It wasn't something that was pointed towards Americans. It was pointed towards the American press. Did any of you know that we had an office of censorship during World War II? Because I did not until this morning when I started looking into these executive orders and looking, what are the tools that these people are using? And they've all been done before. We have a much more sophisticated censorship apparatus than they had by then. And I'm going to kind of read out this just the quick pieces here that they created, the Office of Censorship. This goes back, uh, like I said, to December 18th of 1941. There's a head of the directorate, He's called the Director of Censorship. God, this stuff is Orwellian. The Director of Censorship shall cause to be censored in his absolute discretion. Really? communications by mail, cable, radio, or other means of transmission passing through the United States and any foreign country which may be carried by any vessel or means of transport touching any port, place, or territory of the United States bound to and from any foreign nation in accordance with such rules and regulations as the president shall, from time to time, prescribe. We are talking about can we censor the American press and any means of distribution of information on the say-so, of a president based on this office. And then we have things like CISA. And then we have things like the FBI getting involved with our big tech companies. And then we see that the parallels have all been there. There's nothing new under the sun. This has all been done before. This has all always been there. They have just revived it doesn't matter whether it's the CIA getting involved in corporate media. It doesn't matter whether it's the FBI going to people at Twitter and Facebook and Google. Censorship has always been a tool of the authoritarians, of the totalitarians. And it turns out, interestingly enough, in American history and most of the history abroad, it's always been on the political left. For all the people want to agitate about uh, the the Nazis being uh, you know, a right-wing organization, because they love to say that, They have the word socialism in there, and they went after communists who were on the left because they were their rivals in that space. They tried to nationalize things. I think all this stuff should give us pause. It's not a good note. It's not a good uh, feeling to think that this is what we are facing down. But we have to be aware that if we are not paying attention to the lessons that those who were attacked in our history, we are doomed to suffer the same fate as those who were interned or attacked during our history. That's the real lesson. That's the lesson we should be taking away from that old adage, those who do not learn their history are doomed to repeat it. I think they are doomed to suffer what those who have already suffered did. And that's my takeaway for today, folks. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that's not the most debil- this, uh, debilitating thing that you've heard, but it is not a good note for a Friday. Ryan, did you want to uh, come in here and add something to that?
1: Yeah, I was wondering if you wanted to do a little Q&A. We had a bunch of people asking some questions in here, and I was going to see if you wanted to stick around for an extra five minutes and do a little Q&A at the end of the show.
0: Yeah, let's do it at the end of the show. Let's uh, wrap up the audio podcast here for all these folks. Folks, if you want to see uh, the Q&A, you can jump onto our Rumble channel. Again, it is streamed live every Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday at 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 here in Texas, America. Uh, Streamed live from Liberty Hill, Texas. Don't forget to like the videos. If you are enjoying what you hear, give us a five-star review on Apple on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, and all the other podcast apps that you may be listening to. We do appreciate it. The show continues to grow because of y'all, and because of the five-star reviews like this one. This one is from JAF2F4. I'm pretty sure that actually got butchered by Apple. It says, great podcast, five stars. Kyle, I met you back at a dinner with Dinesh. Hmm. Dinner with Dinesh D'Souza. That limits the number of people it could have been. I've been listening to every episode since May. Keep on fighting the fight and have a fantastic podcast. Uh, We'd really do appreciate that, Jeff. And thanks for listening. Uh, Once again, we are over 600 reviews. We'd love to see it up to 1000 by the end of this year. I think that can be done. And it can be done because you guys go out there and do it. Uh, We want to say thanks again to the hard work and the technical skill of Ryan Matta, who you've been seeing working behind the scenes. You can follow Ryan at Ryan Matta Media on Twitter or at Ryan Matta on True Social, if you're into that variety. He's got a bunch of great videos that have been posted over the last couple of days, pieces from the congressional hearing, if you missed them. And then our opening theme was composed and performed by my talented brother, Casey Serafin. Folks, subscribe to the Rumble channel wherever you get your podcast, and we will do this again on Wednesday. We look forward to seeing you then. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Seraphin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Kyle Follow Kyle on
3: Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.